We are continuing our series, Dare to be Different, and we're looking at really the outworking of Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what this series is about. I've dared you to be different, Harvest Decatur, for several weeks now. I've dared you to be truthful. I've dared you to be loving. I've dared you to be convictional. I've dared you to be humble. Today, I dare you to be content, Harvest Decatur. I dare you to be content. I dare you to be satisfied. I want to start this morning with just a full disclosure from your pastor. Alistair, Sonia, and I, we've seen the movie, I guess the play, Hamilton several times now on Disney+. Plus. Okay? So there you go. And my favorite song, for those of you who are familiar with that play, my favorite song in that play is Satisfied. It's a song about Alexander Hamilton, this founding father, who is never quite satisfied. He is internally restless, he is endlessly restless, and he cannot be satisfied. And I I love that song, I love the lyrics of that music, because I see myself a little bit in that song. And, And I'll tell you this too, I see a little bit of our country in that song. I see a little bit of our country in Alexander Hamilton. We are a hardworking, overachieving, never satisfied people. We're Americans. We don't easily satisfy. And I, you know, in a lot of ways, that's great. I'm not ashamed of being an American in that way at all. But I will say this, there are some negative aspects to that because that endlessly unsatisfied disposition means that contentment eludes us, right? It's just kind of outside of our reach. And we think, you know, the next time we climb that next mountain, the next time we slay that dragon, the next thing we accomplish, the next thing that we do, we're going to find it. We're going to grab a hold of that contentment. We're going to wrestle it to the ground and it's going to be ours. But it always just kind of eludes us. And we're never quite satisfied. And we think to ourselves, you know, sometimes we blame that on our circumstances. If we just had that one thing or if we didn't have this thing dragging us down, if I just had what that other person has, then I'd be satisfied, I'd be content. There's an old Greek fable that goes like this. There were a bunch of men that came up to Jupiter, one of the gods. And these men started to complain about the burdens that they had been given. One man had a blind eye, and one man had an injured leg, and one man was poor, and another man was rich, but he was also sick. And they all came to Jupiter, and they complained about the burdens. We have these burdens. So Jupiter got so angry at them, fed up with it, he said, look, just switch each other's burdens and then get on with it. Get out of my sight. You know, I'm tired of y'all. So the blind man traded his thing for the injured leg and the injured leg guy took the blind eye and the rich man became poor and the poor man became rich but he had to take on the rich man's sickness so they they switched their burdens and then they went away and then they came back in an hour and they said i I don't like these birds i want my old burden back my old burden is better than my new burden and isn't that true with our experiences And how different is that from Philippians chapter 4, 
Verses 11 and 12, you can read this on the screen, where Paul says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. God, teach me that. I have learned, says Paul, in whatever situation I am in to be content, for I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Today, I want to talk about that, Harvest Decatur. I want to talk about contentment. How do we find it? How do we get it? Where is it not to be found? That's where I'm going to start. And, and let me start with this. This is in your notes. I'm going to give you five Five ways in which the world tells you to find contentment, right? What's, what's the theme verse? Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does the world tell you about contentment? I'm going to give you five foils for contentment. Here's what the world will tell you, and I'm going to debunk these, okay? So here we go. Number one, the world will tell you contentment is found in the accumulation of stuff, Contentment is found in the accumulation of stuff. But is that true? Is that true? You know, I, I think in our best moments, we know that's not true. We know, yeah, you know, our culture keeps feeding us this narrative, but we keep buying it. We keep buying it literally, this idea that we can get more stuff and we can find joy in that. The Bible says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's got to be enough for us. It should be enough. The Bible says, this is Jesus, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. I think covetousness is the great enemy of contentment. I'll talk more about that in a second. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The Bible says this, this is a gem from the book of Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, utter destitution for an Old Testament person. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Can we say that, Christians? Can, we, can you say that in your own life? Can you say, as Paul says in Philippians, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Have we, have we learned that as Christians? If God takes everything away from me, I still have him, and that's enough. Can I be honest with you? I haven't learned that yet. I haven't. I was telling Sonia yesterday, you know, usually I get up here on Sunday morning and I'm really confident. I know these things. I've experienced these things. I'm preaching these things. I feel today like I'm preaching something. I still need to learn so much. So just bear with me here as I just pour it out before you. I still haven't learned this. I tell you what I have learned, though. I have learned that contentment is not found in the accumulation of stuff. I have learned that. I heard in a podcast recently, it was an interview of Ben Shapiro, a Jewish political thinker. He was being interviewed by Russell Moore. And he had a really insightful observation about modern day America. He said, he said this, if I told you 100 years ago, here's the deal. You're going to have this magic machine that you carry around with you that gives you access to all information on planet Earth. Your smartphone, right? 
at the touch of a button. And you can also have FaceTime with anyone in your family, no matter where they live, at any time of the day. You can walk into a market and you can buy any type of food sourced from anywhere in the planet. And you can order any product on that magic machine and it will arrive at your door in two days or less. And you're going to live till you're 80. Typically, that's the average life expectancy. People, if you, if you told people that 100 years ago, right after they got out of World War I, leading right into World War II, they would have thought, that's utopia, man. What, what crazy place is this? They would have thought we lived in utopia. And how many of us truly have Amazon Prime and we have all of these creature comforts? Has that made us a happier people? <laughs> Has that made us more content with who we are, who God created us to be? No, we have a rising suicide rate. We have an opioid crisis. Our country is fractured and polarized and divided. There's anger and there's frustration and there's anxiety. Nearly 10% of Americans have some kind of anti-anxiety medication. Prozac, Xanax, Halcyon, Zoloft, Paxil, Librium, Valium. More stuff like that coming out all the time. If there is any evidence that contentment isn't found in the accumulation of stuff, it's that evidence is right here in America today. It's not found there. And Christians, I think, sometimes fall for that trap. Here's a second foil. The world will tell you contentment is found in the changing of circumstances. Change your circumstances. How seductive is this argument? You know, if I just had another job, I'd be happy. If I just had a bigger house, if I just had one more child... If I just had one less child, <laughs> I'd be happy. If I just married a different person, if I just lived somewhere else, somewhere bigger, somewhere smaller, somewhere warmer than Illinois, if I just lived somewhere more friendly, if I just lived somewhere less friendly, if I just lived somewhere more urban, more rural, more suburban, listen, listen, everybody, listen, listen. That is fool's gold for you. That does not lead to contentment, the changing of your circumstances. It doesn't. It doesn't. Contentment cannot be found through the changing of circumstances. And if you fall for that trap, you're going to chase your tail for 50 years. And at the end of it, be like, what was I looking for? I couldn't find it. And here's the issue, I'll just be straight with you. The issue that we're dealing with here, sinfully, is what's called the 10th commandment. We're dealing with this thing called covetousness. If I just had what she has, if I just had his wife, if I just had her job, if I just had their house, their kids, their lives, their vacation destinations, if I just had his metabolism, I'd be happy. You know what that is? You know what that is? That is just garden variety envy is what that is. It's covetousness. And what does the Bible say about that? Thou shalt not covet, right? In fact, it's more specific than that. You can read this on the screen. Here's the commandment. In full, Exodus 20, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. How clear is that, okay? That is not abstract at all. Don't covet your neighbor's anything. 
Be happy. And why is, why is God teaching us this? Is, is it because covetousness is disgusting and sinful and gross? Yes, but it's more than that. It's because covetousness robs you of the goodness that God has for you in contentment and how God made you and what he has given you. That's what's so sad about covetousness is that there's a joy to be found in who you are and how God created you and what God has given you. You can have that. God wants us to be content. God commands us to be content. Why? Let me be as pastoral as I can be here. Because God loves the way that he made you. He loves you as you are. And you don't need some other thing to make you happy or to make you content. God made you unique in this world with your own soul, your own gifts, your own spiritual gifts. And we have no reason in this world to after some other person's thing or some other person's stuff. Here's a third foil. Here's another false notion that the world will try to sell you. Contentment is found in the accomplishing of your dreams. Contentment's found in the accomplishing of dreams. I was listening to a message just last week by Tim Keller. He gave this lecture to a group of Oxford students in England, young, idealistic, bold college students. And Tim Keller basically told them that even if you chase all of your dreams, even if you accomplish them, you will end up dissatisfied, disillusioned, and unhappy. And you know what? I loved every minute of it. It was brilliant. It was so bold, and he was so... Because what do, what do people typically tell college students? You know, you, you chase those rainbows, man. You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. And, and what do you do? You know, that's, that's at age 21, 22. What do you do several years down the road when, when those dreams aren't met? When you, you know, have all these people that want to be the president of the United States of America. We've had, what, 46 of them? That ain't going to happen. What are you going to do when that doesn't happen? What, what, when your dreams to be an aspiring movie star or, or professional athlete or even a successful business person that starts a Fortune 500 country, company, what happens when you don't succeed at that? Can I tell you what's even worse than that? What happens if you do succeed at that? And you get to the end of it and you think to yourself, this is not all it's cracked up to be. Is this what I've really given my life for? There are a lot of unhappy people in Hollywood, by the way. There are a lot of unhappy professional athletes. Even if you find some level of success and contentment and the accomplishing of your dreams, it's fleeting. Fourthly, here's, here's another foil. Contentment is found in the passage of time. Contentment is found in the passage of time. This is a sneaky one. Oh, I, you know, I'm just going through a season, Pastor Tony. I'm just, I'm just going through a phase. Just going through, just going through the season. You know, once X, Y, and Z happen, I'll be happy. I'll be happy once this happens. Things will get better when my health improves. Things will get better when I reach a certain status at work. Things will get better when I get a little older and I'm not so restless. Things will get better when my kids get a little older. Things will get better when this stupid COVID-19 stuff is over. That's why I'm not happy, Pastor Tony. It's COVID-19's fault. It's, 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 a, it's a micro 
virus. That's what's making me unhappy right now. Let's tell you right now, there is no correlation between the passage of time and contentment. And I think the best example of that is just watch people as they age. They typically get either sweeter or more sour as they age. Sweet people get sweeter. Sour people get sourer. Uh, I heard a pastor say that once. And, and, and I, I've seen that. I've seen that in my own life. I've seen, I've seen other people that have experienced that. Some people get sweeter. Sweet people get sweeter. Unless there's some kind of life crisis that makes them sour. I think a large part of that is the ability to take Paul's statement at face value and believe it. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In whatever situation I am to be content. You can't blame your discontentedness on your stage of life. You can't assume that your discontentedness will disappear with the passage of time. There is a secret to contentment. There is something that God gives you that no circumstances in this world can rob you of. And I, I want that. I'm praying for that. I'm trying to learn that as your pastor. More on that in a second. Here's a fifth foil quickly. Contentment is found in the increase of notoriety. Bigger, better paying job. More respect for my children. More respect for my grandchildren. More influence in my community, more notoriety, more success. Honestly, I, I struggle with this. I do. I do. As a pastor, I look out on other pastors and, and envy their intelligence and envy their influence. People like Kevin DeYoung and Matt Chandler and J.D. Greer, thinkers like Al Mohler and John Piper. I, you know, in my best moments, in my best moments, I think to myself, praise God for these individuals and what you've given them, God, because they, they have blessed my life in my worst moments. <laughs> it's kind of self-pity comes over me and I complain like an Israelite in the wilderness, I complain. Why me, Lord? Why, why not me? And I forget because of envy that the good beautiful things that God has given me and the privilege that I have even right now to stand before you and say, thus says the Lord. And you know what? I think that might be the solution for a lot of the discontentment that we have in our hearts. It's just being, it's just realizing that we don't, we don't deserve anything, <laughs> right? We, we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve a family. We don't deserve a job. We don't deserve life. We certainly don't deserve salvation. And, and in seeing, you know, everything that we have, our families our lives, whatever possessions we might have, whatever life we have right now is the eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. That is a matter of God's grace. We don't deserve any of that. Just saying it out loud is really helpful. And being thankful for whatever he gives us, that's, that's contentment. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So if God calls you, let's get practical. If God calls you to a life of singleness, rejoice in that. 
If God calls you to a life of obscurity, rejoice in that. If God calls you to a life of simplicity and even poverty, rejoice in that. If God has called you to a life of wealth and provision and abundance, if God has called you to that, which, by the way, in America, there's a lot of that. Be careful now. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money, but rejoice in that and use your wealth to bless the Lord. Let's leave this behind, okay? Let's leave these foils behind. Let's talk about practically how we build contentment in our lives. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, we're not conformed to the world. Let's set those foils aside, but let's, let's talk about how to be transformed. How might we pursue contentment in this world? That's the question I want to answer. How might we pursue contentment in this world? And some of you, some of you right now, cynically, you might just be saying, Tony, it's, it's not possible. It's just not possible in this world. In, in my set of circumstances, I, set of circumstances, it's just not possible right now. Listen, hear me. Here's how I know it's possible. In the book of Philippians, which we're going to look at, Paul said, I have learned to be content in any circumstance. Paul wrote that book from prison. Paul wrote that book from a dark, dank prison cell. And when you read Philippians, but it's one of my favorite books. I can't wait to preach it again someday. You read the book of Philippians, it's just so happy. Everything's so happy, you know? Paul's like, rejoice, 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 rejoice. He's writing that from a prison cell, people. And, and if he can get to that place of contentment, Paul can in the prison cell, we can in our lives. That's my argument here. And even right now, the devil might be in your ear right now saying, no, 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 you can't do that. Don't listen to this guy, this pastor up there, him and his pastoral platitudes. You've been through too much, the devil's telling you right now. There's no way that you can be happy. Maybe for him, but not for you. Listen, and maybe it's not the devil. Maybe it's your own cynicism. Let me challenge you right now to take God's word at his word and believe it. That you can be content regardless of your circumstance in anything that God has given you. We can find this. We can learn this. So, four answers to this question. How might we pursue contentment in the world? Here's the first thing. We rejoice in all situations. We rejoice in all situations. If I had to summarize the book of Philippians in one statement, I would say this. Joy to the world. We rejoice in all situations. Paul says this in Philippians 4. If, if you have your Bibles, just turn there with me. It's on the screen right now, but... You might as well look this up, circle it, highlight some stuff. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, here's what Paul says. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, sorry, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, says Paul. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, here's the exact situation that Paul was dealing with in this chapter. Paul says in verse 10, 
says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. A constant refrain in this book is rejoice, rejoice. Paul says that, you know, commands it even to us. Rejoice, rejoice. But at this point, Paul doesn't just command rejoicing. He demonstrates it. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord. In fact, he says it stronger than that. He said, I rejoice greatly. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Why, Paul? Why are you rejoicing? Because now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul's talking here about this financial gift that was given him by the church in Philippi. It was delivered by a man named Epaphroditus. This is detailed earlier in the book. So Paul was, Paul was happy that their concern for him was revived. It literally blossomed, he says. And, and, and they gave him a gift after a lengthy time. And then Paul adds to that statement. He said, you were indeed concerned for me. I knew you were always concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. In other words, the Philippian church always wanted to give to Paul, but they, they didn't always have the means. Second Corinthians chapter eight, Paul says this, he says this to the Corinthian church, a stingy church, by the way, that he was rebuking. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. F Philippi was one of those Macedonian churches, the church at Philippi, the one that Paul's writing to in the book of Philippians. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So the Philippian church, despite their poverty, they gave these gifts to Paul, and that's, that's why he rejoices. And to that you might say, well, there it is right there. That's the point of this message. That's the point of this message. Give even when it hurts, because God's people rejoice when you give. Give even when it hurts, because that brings rejoicing to God's servant. But that's not Paul's point here. Because Paul says in verses 11 and 12, he basically says this, even if you didn't give, I'd be okay. Even if you gave nothing, that's good too. I'm okay with that. Because I have learned to do without. I have learned to be content no matter what. Not that I am speaking of need, being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Write this down as number two. Here's the second way to contentment. We have to learn like Paul learned the secret of contentment. We rejoice in all situations and we learn the secret of contentment. Paul says in verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Let me just point out two items here. First of all, contentment is a secret. It's a secret. It's a, it's a mystery. How some people who shouldn't be content are and some people who should be, maybe by the world standards, aren't. It's a secret and, and secondly, let me just point this out. Paul had to learn this. Is everybody with me? Paul had to learn. What do you think? You think you're going to get away with doing something that Paul didn't have to do? Paul, the super apostle. The man who wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Paul had to learn this. He had to learn it. We have to learn this. We have to learn this. Paul, the one who said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul had to learn contentment. 
And, and you know, there's, it's kind of encouraging to think about that. You know, as I'm struggling with this, I think, well, you know, Paul had to learn it. So I guess I got to learn it. Ooh, makes me feel good. And just for clarification, you know, Paul, he didn't accomplish this contentment by, you know, transcendental meditation, just kind of sitting around, you know, waiting for the, the contentment lightning to strike, you know, zap, ooh, wow, okay, now I'm content. He, he never got bit by the contentment bug. I wish it worked that way. That would be great. But it doesn't. This is something you're going to have to learn. There's a process to this. In the, in the school of following Jesus Christ, this is something you need to learn. You need to learn contentment as you submit yourself fully to the Lord. By the way, this word content, the English word content actually derives from the word for county. Did y'all know that? Content, county, and the idea behind county, at least, you know, way back when, was that that was a self-enclosed, self-sustaining land mass. So Macon County back in the day, for instance, they were self-supporting. They would say, we're content. We, ha- we have everything that we need right here in our county. We, we have no need of imports from another county or from another state. We got everything that we need. We, we don't need any fuel. We got all our fuel. We cut down our own trees. We harvest our own food. We, we raise our own livestock. We build our own houses. We don't, we don't need any imports in this county because we're content. Similarly, Paul's saying here in verse 10, thanks for the import. <laughs> thanks for the imports, church in Philippi. But just so you know, I've learned to not need them. I've learned to be content. I have the word of God. I have the son of God. I have the people of God. I'm engaged in the purposes of God. I don't need anything. I don't need anything. Thanks for the gifts. That's great. Praise God. I don't need it. Let me just ask you, church, those of you watching online, have you gotten to that place right now? Where you don't need anything? I've got the word of God. I've got the son of God. I've got the church of God. I don't need any, I don't need a new job. I don't, I don't need a new house. I don't need a makeover. I don't need to win the lottery. I don't need any new toys. I, I'm, I'm content. I'm content right now where I am. I don't need any imports. Paul writes, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be contempt. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. Now let's, let's talk about this. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. There's, there's obviously a financial component to this, but I, I, you know, Paul was poor in prison. He was hungry. He was in chains, but it's, it's more than just the financial realm. This idea of being brought low because Paul, you know, do you know how humiliating it is to be in prison? Paul is in prison. You know how humiliating that would be to your family, to your friends, how embarrassing that must have been to other people. And Paul, Paul was in prison for good reason. He was preaching the gospel and they put him in prison. But even in that, I'm sure there was something humiliating about that. 2,000 years later, we can admire Paul. Too. That's, that's amazing. Look at how brave he was. But in the moment, I'm sure Paul had his moments where he's like, I, what am I doing? Why did I do this? Is this worth it? But Paul says in that, I know how to be brought low and I can be content even when I'm humiliated in prison right now. That's really difficult. Can I say this too? Being brought low, there's, there's a hardship to that, learning contentment in that. There's also 
a struggle with contentment when you're abounding, when you got lots of stuff, when God is blessing you, when, when you're, people are heaping upon you the praises of men, when, when you can't manage the stress of financial increase because you're being given more and more and more and you don't know what to do with it. There's a price to be paid for that too. Paul knew both of those things. Tell me if you've heard this before. Mo' money, mo' problems. Y'all ever heard that before? It's true. There's times that I remember those days when I used to eat top ramen 10 days in a row as a college student. Those were good days. I miss that. Psalm 62, verse 10 says, If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Psalm 30, verse 8 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? I don't need him. The difficulty of being content in abundance is equal to or greater to the difficulty of being content when you were brought low. And let me just say this about Paul. Paul Paul's even saying here, I've seen it all. I've seen it all. I have sat at the finest, the finest places, eaten the finest meals. I've hobnobbed with the greatest people in this world, greatest, you know, and, and I've been in prison. I've, I've, you know, Paul, if you read the book of Acts, sometimes that happened to Paul in the same day, like Acts 16, you know, he's meeting with with Lydia and she gets saved and it's glorious and it's awesome and she's a woman of wealth and she brings Paul into her house and I'm sure he ate good that night and then just a few moments later in the same chapter he gets arrested, beaten and put in prison. In the same day Paul was high and he was low and he says here I know that. I know how to be high. I know how to be low and I know how to be content in any and every circumstance I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here, hear me on this. Hear me on this. Especially those of you who are young, who maybe are increasing in your ability to make money. There is no correlation between how much money you have and how happy you are. No correlation. There is no correlation between wealth and contentment. I know wealthy people that are incredibly content. And I know some wealthy people, and you probably do too, that are abysmally miserable. And I know people who don't have much, don't have anything at all. And I would sell everything I own to be as content as they are. And I know people like that too who are miserable. There's no correlation between wealth, between finances and commitment. And when you see people like that, when you know people, they don't have much, yet they're so happy. They're so content with what God has given them. What is that? What is that? It's a God thing. It's a secret. It's a secret you have to learn in the school of following Jesus. Paul learned it. We have to learn that too. Charles Spurgeon said this about contentment. You can read this on the screen. He said, contentment in all states is not a natural propensity of man. Covetousness, that's natural. Discontent and murmuring are as natural to a man as thorns are to the soil. So you have no need to teach men to complain. Do you have to teach your children to complain or do they just do it? 
They complain fast enough without any education. But the precious things of the earth must be cultivated. Contentment is one of the flowers of heaven, and if we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone, salvation, that can produce it. And even then, we must be specially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in it. So we have to learn it. Go ahead and write this down as number three. How, I, how might we pursue contentment in this world? Thirdly, we, we have to fight the, the temptation to envy. We have to fight the temptation of envy. Envy, covetousness, I use those terms interchangeably. James 3.16 says this, For where jealous and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every evil, viral, vile practice. Sorry. Galatians 5.26 says this, Let, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. First Peter 2.1 says, So put away all mal- malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And let me say this too. I just need to qualify what we're talking about here. Contentment in the Christian life. Everybody listening? Contentment is not lackadaisicalness. Y'all with me? It's not like, ah, whatever, I don't care. That is not contentment. The New Bible Dictionary says it this way. Contentment is not a passive acceptance of the status quo. Nah, whatever, I don't care. But instead, it's the positive assurance that God has supplied one's needs and the consequent release from unnecessary desire. God, give me that. The release of unnecessary desire. The Christian can be self-contained. Remember that word, county, content? The Greek idea behind this is the same thing. We can be self-contained because he has been satisfied by the grace of God. Let me say it this way. Contentment does not mean spiritual apathy. It does not mean this, you know, cold, dispassionate, say lovey, say lovey, who cares, whatever, meh. It can't mean that biblically. You know, Don was talking about this this last weekend. We had this conference and it was about church planting and we're all getting energized for church planting and we're all getting excited about what we can do and how we can be involved in that. And, and I'll just tell you right now, there's, there's, there's energy behind that. There's excitement. There's, there's a sanctified ambition in that. I want to do something for God. I want to get things done for God. I want to achieve things for God. That is good. And contentment can't be robbed of that. But that ambition, that desire to do things for God should never dispossess us of a deep, abiding sense of contentment about what God has called us to do, about how God has made us, about where God has placed us. The two great enemies of contentment, as I see them, are these. First of all, it's envy. Envy. I'm not happy because I don't have what that other person has. I want what that other woman has. I want what he has. I want what this person has. I want something that God hasn't given me. Here's a great proverb on this. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. 
Put that on your refrigerator this week and memorize it. Envy is the great enemy of contentment. Here's another enemy of contentment. I, I'm not even sure what to call it. It's, an, it's a, an unwillingness to submit ourselves fully to God. It's what I'll call self-determinism. A Christian who hasn't learned to fully submit themselves to God, to, to forgive as God has commanded us to forgive, to submit to the authorities that God has placed in our lives, to trust the sovereignty of God, even in the hardships of life. That is a discontented Christian, somebody who can't do that. That is a person who has not experienced the rest and the peace and the contentment that God has made available to us. And let me just tell you, you don't have to live that way, Harvesticator. We don't have to live that way. There is contentment to be found. God has a way for you to find contentment even in the midst of the worst possible pain. Even in the midst of deep disappointment. But if you're going to get there, you're going to have to deal with the envy that so easily creeps into our soul and steals our contentment. Here's another great quote, quote from Spurgeon. He said, if the queen would but make him a justice of the peace for the county, how glorious would my Lord become? That done, he will never be satisfied till he is a knight. And if he were a knight, he would never be content until he became a baron. And my Lord would never be satisfied till he was an earl. Nor would he even then be quite content until he was a duke. Nor would he be quite satisfied, I think, unless there was a kingdom for him somewhere. I mean, this is funny because this is all like British. We don't even know what that is. Duke, Earl, but we, we don't know what that, but we know what that is, don't we? We know what he's talking about. The next thing, the next accomplishment. Not happening until I reach that next thing. And Spurgeon says, men are not easily satisfied with honor. Oh, learn, brethren, in whatever state you are therewith to be content. And here's the final answer to that question. How do we pursue contentment in this world? Fourthly, we grow in our satisfaction in Christ. Right? Y'all still with me? We grow in our satisfaction in Christ. You still got Philippians 4 open? Look at verse 13. You probably know it. You probably have it memorized. It's a very famous verse, but it's famous for the wrong reasons. Verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, what does that mean? Philippians 4.13. Be careful now. Careful now. Because there are, there are a lot of Christians that think that means I, I could be Michael Jordan through Christ who gives me strength. I'm five foot two. I don't have eye-hand coordination, but Christ is going to give me the strength to do this. I think there are people, even Christians, who think I can conquer Wall Street through Christ who gives me strength. I can be a movie star through Christ who gives me strength. I can build a Fortune 500 company through Christ who gives me strength. I can go to the moon. I know some of y'all, after staying out all night the night before, you showed up at school without studying. 
And you claimed this promise for that test. I can do all that God you said I can do, even though I didn't study, even though I didn't even care about this. How'd that work out for you? Did that work out? Is that what this Bible is teaching? Here, let me explain Philippians 4.13. This is not a blank check for you to go and do whatever you want and expect God to cash it. What Paul is talking about here, remember the context. He's talking about contentment in any situation in life. He's talking about even through suffering, Christ can give you the strength for contentment. In fact, Christ has to give you the strength for contentment because we can't manufacture it on our own. Yes, it's a learned attitude. Christ has to help us to learn it. So in light of what Paul has just said in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 12, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I can endure all hardships that come my way through Christ who strengthens me. Everybody with me? I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can endure all things, all of that, through Christ who gives me strength. Everybody got it? You got it? Let me say it in a sentence. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I can have contentment in all things, good and bad, suffering and abundance. I can, I can have contentment in all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what he's saying in Philippians 4.13, that Christ is the one that's going to help you to get to a place of contentment. And I know what you're saying right now. Even as I read that, you're saying, Pastor Tony, I'm not there yet. I haven't gotten there yet where I can say that, like Paul, I can be content no matter what I'm going through in life. Yeah, me too. Me too. This is a learned behavior. Paul had to learn to be Christ-sufficient, and so do we. This is a process. God, help us to be content. God, grow our satisfaction in Christ so we can do this. And here's why we can be content in any hardship that we're experiencing in this world. Here's why we should be content no matter what we face in this world. Do you know why? I'm finishing now, okay? I'm about done. Do you know why you can be content no matter what you go through in this life? You can be content because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'll just tell you, there is nothing in this life, there is nothing that this world throws at you that that can't dominate, can't conquer, can't overcome. Christ died for me. Yes, I'm going through hell right now, Pastor Tony. But I can get through that. You know why? Because while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And you know what? Christ is going to give me the help I need to get through this thing. And you know what else? Even if I die in this world, I'm going to go home to an eternity that's with him, that's glorious. And there's no bad thing in this world that won't be overcome when I go home to eternity. And all of this is left behind. 
Here's one more quote from C.S. Spurgeon. Okay, forgive me. I'm in a Spurgeon phase right now, all right? I am. So just bear with me here. Spurgeon says this. He says, saints have no hell but what they suffer here on earth. Sinners will have no heaven but what they have here in this poor, troublous world. We have our sufferings here and our glory afterwards. Praise God. You may have your glory here, but you will have your suffering forever and ever. I don't know about you, but give me the first of those options, not the second. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Church, you can endure anything in this life with joy and contentment and endurance and the goodness of God you can learn contentment regardless of your circumstances. I dare you, Harvest Decatur, I dare you, I dare me, I dare us to be content in this world. To be content. Let's pray for that right now. Let's bow your heads with me. Ryan's gonna come, he's gonna lead us in a final song, but let's not be distracted. Let's just, let's just cultivate right now a spirit of thanksgiving. Maybe some of you are going through a deep trial right now. I don't know all of what you're going through. We as a country are going through some tough things. Just unburden yourself of that right now. The Lord says, cast your burdens upon him. Cast your anxieties on Christ because he cares for you. Some of you might be experiencing great abundance right now. New financial resources you've never had before. And that's weighing heavy on you. The challenge of that, managing a family, managing a, an expense account, managing a retirement fund. Knowing who to give to and when to give and how much to give. Ask the Lord for help. Ask the Lord to teach you contentment in all circumstances of life. Lord Jesus, thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. There is nothing in this life, Lord, that's so onerous, that's so painful. But the salvation that we've found in you doesn't trump it. God, help us to deal with the covetousness in our hearts that so easily creeps in and steals our joy. God, help us to be thankful and grateful for all that you do. And may Christ be enough for us, Lord, I pray. May Christ be enough.
I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together.